uh, please look at your bulletin through the week and pray for our family. As you can see from this, a lot of people have extended ones, ones close to them who are hurting, who are going through a, a, a great deal of pain. I want to mention a few more that just to add to uh, our prayer list this morning. If you have something to write on, this would be good. Um, Josh Tate's grandfather is dying. The family is in Virginia. I don't know if that's Tom's father or Marilyn's. I think it's, Tom, it's Tom's father, yes. Okay, and his wife just died about a year ago. Is that correct? Something like that? Year t- six months? Only six months ago, which is so common. Um, so pray for the Tates as they are all gathered in Virginia. And also uh, Troy Mitchell's grandmother is dying and the family's in Missouri. We want to pray for them. Betty Hopper, uh, Ann's mother, uh, Ann Coors' mother, has been through just so many trials of late. In fact, died for a few minutes about two months ago, a month or two ago. And now she's back in the hospital and, and there are insurance considerations and she's doing much better. Just just pray about all of that. We've all, we all know about that, about insurance. Um, issues and problems unless you are like my daughter who works at SAS and then there are no issue insurance issue problems at all I'm jealous Uh, also uh, Lynn Stone used to be Lynn Dawkins uh, has had her second surgery with Crohn's there are several of you uh, connected with our church two of you in here that I see right now who have had that surgery and it's very helpful but it's very difficult to get over in the early days where they have removed some of her colon. They did before, now they've gone back and and even hit more of it. So she's in Chapel Hill, part of our extended family. And then Chris Tanasa's sister having chest pain after a heart cath on Friday. She's mighty young to be having a heart cath. She had a heart attack. How old? 36 years old, my goodness. And I know, I know there are other prayer concerns, and I, I would open it up, but um, if you have a concern, please get it this week to us at the office, to Keisha. Um, honestly, folks, I, let me mention this. Um, unless Keisha or Marta are in there, and then we sometimes encourage them not to, we get so many random calls, phone calls at our <laughs> email. That's a far better way, or call Keisha's Call Keisha's cell phone if it's, if it's a church issue or mine or David or whatever because we get calls all day long uh, looking for assistance which we are unable to provide. And then people either trying to receive money from us in that way, which of course our heart is to help, but we have enough to take care of in our own body plus the ones that our body are connect people are we're connected with and then also people trying to sell us something all day long and so it is enormously time consuming to answer the phone so email us get one of our cell phones they're on the back here we'll be happy to um you know do whatever we need to with the church business but please remember these people, our body in prayer. And I know there are more concerns. Um, you know, I sometimes I wish we could do music at the end of the service rather than, or after the message rather than before. This is especially one of those days. Uh, I really wrestled with this text and um, I, I, I really wrestled and struggled with 
finding ways to apply this text to our everyday lives. And, and it's primarily going to end up being information about all that Jesus has done for us and, and how we relate to God through Christ, not through our own good works. Uh, the music today beautifully sets up uh, this text. And it's interesting as I, as I thought about all of this, how Paul spends so much time saying the same thing over and over and over in different ways. Obviously, God understood that we need to, 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 to focus on what it is that he's saying and, and get the truth of this firmly imprinted in our hearts and souls, not only so that we will be saved, but so that we know how to live once we're saved. And we get to that. There's enormous application in, in Galatians 5 and 6. Uh, but we begin to move today, we, we, for the last time, at least for a little bit, we're, we're thinking about this idea that our relationship with God is, is based strictly on faith and not on our good works. And we start to think about the implications of that in the coming weeks. Uh, and, and it's even repackaged and said other ways. Paul didn't spend time defending the deity of Christ in the book of Galatians. He didn't talk about the resurrection in Galatians. He talked about what it means to be rightly related to God. He spent the bulk of his energies thinking about that one particular thing. So the music this morning speaks to that truth. And, and I thought as we were worshiping God, singing that truth this morning... I want to encourage you to do the exact same thing in this message today. Worship God as we think about what he has done for us in Jesus, through Jesus, in the cross. At the cross especially. Well, my lovely wife Allison is not with us this morning. She is in her native land of Australia. She sends her greetings and she also wishes that you remember her. She is battling, grueling Temperatures these days between 45 and 65 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, so, so please remember her. I, to show you how devoted a husband I am, I'm going to go and join her in her misery. A week from Tuesday, I, 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 I fly out. Um, <clears throat> this is going to be my third trip down under, and it's going to be an abbreviated trip. I'm only going to be there for two weeks. Usually I'm there for three. I've been there the last two years, three weeks. I'm telling you, it takes a week to get over that trip. It just beats you up. I, so I'll barely get over it before I have to climb back aboard and come back home. But one of the things that Allison loves to do, as anyone loves to do, with, with someone they love, is to show, she loves to show me places, you know, in Australia that I haven't seen. I've I got to be honest with you. When I, I had seen the pictures preparing to go over, and it was much Australia is much more beautiful than I anticipated it being. A lot of people have this romantic version of, uh, of the beauty of Australia, but I had seen pictures that made me think, well, I'm not so sure that I see what's so special. Well, it is spectacularly beautiful. And so we, she loved for us to go uh, places we haven't been before. And one of the places that she wants to take me is the Great Barrier Reef. I'm not exactly sure that I'm interested in going to the Great Barrier Reef. Here's why. Um, (laughs) 
had dinner with Jonathan and Sarah last night, uh, Allison's two children, and they suggested that I put a picture of me in my bathing suit, but I didn't want to scare anybody, so, uh, so I went for this instead. Um, <clears throat> I mean, the Great Barrier Reef, it, it's a place where great white sharks lure, lurk with several kinds of, of jellyfish and, and poisonous snakes and all kinds of things that will kill you dead in an awful way. If, however, you can get past that, it may just be worth the effort. Here's why. It's the kind of thing that you see. Anybody ever been to the Great Barrier Reef? Anybody? Anybody ever been to Australia? All right. Two, three of us now. So three of us who know what that flight is like. You know, if you can just get, get past the all the deadly stuff, uh, you're likely to see dam- damselfish, angelfish, cardinalfish, butterflyfish, and Nemo, who, of course, is a clownfish. Uh, you, you don't have to go too deep in the waters to see these sites, but it's quite a commitment to get there. The Bar- Great Barrier Reef is some 25, 30 miles off the coast <clears throat> of Australia and some 1,500 miles north of Sydney. So you've got to be serious about going there. As I was preparing this message, I couldn't help thinking about the beauties. You know, we've already talked about diving in, going deep sea diving in the book of Galatians. And, 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 and our VBS theme was going deep, diving down and finding truth uh, in the Lord. But I, I was thinking about, as I went into this text, the beauties that are there. I was trying to even think about it on the way over here, how to describe... I think the feeling that I have sometimes is almost that of guilt, that I get to see so much beauty in the Word that others don't. And I'm so, such a poor communicator at getting the truth out there. There's no way to let you know what lies beneath the surface of Scripture until you go in for yourself and see it. It'd be impossible to describe the beauty that I have seen in, in the book of Galatians. I, and I suppose I could make application with the shark, you know, and say that there's danger looking for those who don't take care in interpreting the Scripture profit, properly. But for the most part, I just put it up there uh, as a warning. If you go to sleep in the service, we'll put it back up and you're, you know, somebody can nudge you and point at the screen. And that'll be a rude awakening. Uh, there is application. Our text is Galatians three ten through four seven, part one. The goal this morning is to get through Galatians three twenty two. And swimming in these theological waters is like is going to be like swimming in the Great Barrier Reef. It's it's almost more than the senses can absorb. Paul paints one beautiful picture after another, even in the middle of a very stern, strict, serious rebuke that he's making to the people at Galatia, the churches of Galatia, because they have begun to move away from the pure gospel. You'll not get everything that Paul is saying, but there's going to be beauty to behold. Here are just some of the treasures waiting for us over these next couple of weeks in our text. Uh, with, With the cross of Jesus right in the middle, it's going to be very prominent in what we see, but we're going to think about promise and covenant and law Adoption, 
blessing, baptism, redemption, freedom from slavery in Jesus, the gift of faith, and God's wonderful covenant community with all of its implications. A lot of that doesn't come until next week, but that's what we're going to be seeing over these next two weeks. And it's, and it's going to kind of be like swimming in these types of waters where you know, you, you, you sort of take a look at this and then you move on to the next thing. And, it's, and, and you're just looking all around you and seeing everything that God has put there for us to behold. We're going to dive into our uh, text after prayer. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, um, we come to this, your word this morning, with hearts that are eager to behold the beauty that you have put there. And Lord, with all that we see prominent in Scripture is Jesus. And even the cross of Jesus, that is the basis for our freedom in Him. And so we pray this morning that our eyes would be open and that our hearts would be full. And consequently, that our lives would be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you'll notice that our text this morning, Galatians 3.10, begins with a conjunction for. Verse 9 has told us that all those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. Uh, the issue in the Galatian churches, in case you're just getting here, was this. There were people who were, Paul had been there a year earlier, preached the gospel that said that your faith and repentance from your sins and trust in Jesus who died on the cross in your place is what is the basis, it's, it's, the, it's the full hope of your salvation. It's the only way that you have hope that one day you will go to heaven. Well, um, some people came in behind Paul and said, you know, that's good. That's, that's a good start, but there's more to it. Look, blessing has always come through the people of God, the, 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 his chosen nation, uh, the people of Israel. And so in order for you to continue your relationship with God, you're going to have to get connected through God's covenant people and his plan. And, and the way that that's all indicated is circumcision for the men and you better keep the law if you want to stay related to God. Uh, Paul has already made the case, which he's going to bolster in these next few verses, that Abraham, the father of the Jews, was not saved by his good works. In fact, it, it, he was saved by believing the promises of God, the promise of God, and that came long before the law did. Law wasn't even in place. And we are recipients of the promise that Abraham was given and believed in that day. In verse 10, Paul warns about the danger of dependence on one's ability to keep the law. You want to base your relationship on God with how good you are? Be careful for all who rely on the works of the law, for salvation that is, are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written 
in the book of the law and to do them. In other words, you have to obey everything. You have to obey it perfectly. You can't miss anything. Scott Colbreth tells me sometimes about some of the products that his company works on and how precise they have to be. They're, they're building medical uh, products that, that sound quite painful to me, but nonetheless, he talks about how precise they have to be and, and you have to, sometimes you have to scrap the whole thing and start over. Well, that's the way the law is. If you don't get it exactly right, and in fact, the law is so much more demanding than the products that, Scott and his crew are trying to, to um, produce the law. So you have to get it completely right or you're done. Now, Paul is almost certainly thinking about the scene in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. Moses is telling the people, now, when you get into the promised land, want half of you to go on Mount Gerizim, half to go on Mount Ebal. The people on Mount Gerizim are going to say, blessed be the people and blessings on you when you obey the Lord. But the people on Mount Ebal are saying... Cursed are you if you don't keep this. Cursed are you when you do this. Cursed are you when you do... And you know what? The people on Mount Ebal got a whole lot more work than the people on Mount Gerizim. Far more about cursing than there was blessing in the law. It was quite clear to Paul that no one could keep it. In fact, verse 12, But the law is not of faith, rather... The one who does them shall live by them. I'm sorry, verse 11. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Uh, Quotes Habakkuk 2.4. Verse 12 quotes Leviticus 18.5. If you want to put your hope in the law, you better keep it to the full. But verse 11 Paul says, righteousness doesn't come by the law, it comes by the faith. And then he quotes Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by faith. The just one, the justified one, shall live by faith. This is quoted several times, in, well, three times to be exact, in Romans and in Hebrews as well. The just one shall live by faith. And if we had three or four more weeks, we could talk about the context and the breathtaking symmetry of Habakkuk's word of faith to a people who were in the midst of they were preparing for devastating judgment by the nation of Babylon and yet in the middle of all that Habakkuk says to the to the people those who are righteous must live by faith no matter what goes on around you so if everyone who fails to keep the law perfectly is under a curse what do we do what will we do That's the wrong question. It's not what will we do, but what rather has God done for us? The difference, in fact, between the pure gospel and every other religion, every cult, every every perversion of the pure gospel being preached in Protestant and Catholic churches alike is this. The pure gospel says, this is what Jesus has done for you. Everybody else says, this is what you must do in order for Jesus, for God to receive you, accept you. I need to be properly dressed when I stand before the gates of heaven, and it's up to me. Well, it is true that you need to be properly dressed when you get to heaven. But if it's up to what you can do, you're going to be amazed at how underdressed you are when you stand there. You're going to find yourself like Adam and Eve, in trouble, big trouble. 
It's not about do, but about done. Jesus has done for you what you had no capacity to do, and your only hope to be dressed properly when you stand before God is to be dressed in Jesus' clothes. In His righteousness. It's the only way you can stand. Let's spend a few minutes in in verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. With eight grandchildren and so many children in our church, I I love that, by the way. I love children. Um, Here's a phrase that I hear more than any other, except for no. I do hear that a lot. No! No! Soon after that is one of those phrases that I I hear more than any other, and that is, I don't want a spanking! I don't want a spanking! I don't want a spanking! Now, whether you spank or not is not the point. That's, that's not what I'm trying to, 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 to get at. But you know, children cannot, in most homes, children just cannot disobey without consequence. I'm told that when I was a child, I avoided many spankings because I would run around going crazy and people would get so tickled that, you know, they just forgot about it um that's not going to work at, at, at heaven at the judgment bar in heaven it's you know nobody's going to be able to do that there will be consequence for our sin when we stand before a perfect a perfect god think about that for a moment holiness that will be blinding, deafening, terrifying. Just think about it. Jesus' best friend on earth was the apostle John. Well, at least that's what John tells us. And it's the word of God, so we know it's true. Jesus' best friend on earth was John. When John saw him, In heaven, in the book of Revelation, what did he do? He fell as one dead. His best friend was terrified when he saw Jesus in his holiness. He just got a glimpse. Thankfully, God is going to withhold that from most of us, that terrifying, because we are dressed in Jesus' clothes when we stand before him. But for those who are not dressed in Jesus' clothes, they will see God in all Of his terror. When we stand. Before a holy God. There will be no hiding. No. Running away. And if we have failed. To keep his law. In every point. We are doomed. We're cursed. There's only one hope for us. And that is that someone. Will take. Our punishment but that's really not even a hope it's better than we could even imagine and yet it's exactly what Jesus did he stepped in and said I will become a curse 
for you. Your responsibility is to believe. The root word in the Greek for redemption is agora, or literally marketplace, as in a market where slaves were traded. Jesus literally purchased our freedom when we were slaves. We were enslaved and under the curse of the law when we attempted to find our way to God through our good works because our good works were never going to be good enough and so we were just enslaved constantly trying to to throw off these shackles and they just bound tighter and tighter. That's the whole point of the letter to the Galatians. Do you desire to be enslaved by your efforts to please God or will you by faith receive the freedom that is offered to you? How did Jesus purchase our freedom? By becoming a curse for us. When Paul states that everyone who hangs on a tree is cursed, he's quoting Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. That's why they broke Jesus' legs and... Passover was coming up. For a, for a hanged man is cursed before God. The, the, the Jews used four methods for executing criminals. And perhaps this would be a good lunch topic for you today. You could just discuss this over lunch. Burning, stoning, beheading, and strangling the victim while standing up. I'm a guy, so, you know, I had to throw that in. After the execution, the criminal would be hoisted upon a tree or a stake to show that he had been justly condemned. Even though the Jews did not practice crucifixion, Paul's readers were savvy enough in their understanding of the Old Testament to to, to know where Paul was going with this point. Jesus became a curse for us when he died on the cross. And he took upon himself the punishment we deserved. Jesus' cross stands at the center of all history. Home group leaders, go back to the end of last week's text and read that paragraph that John Stott talks about the cross where it stands in the middle of everything. Now, Sean and I were talking about this this week and, 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 and thinking about how that's in context of Jesus' perfect life, our sin, his, Jesus' perfect life and his resurrection where God accepted his sacrifice on the cross. But still, it's the cross of Jesus to which the whole Bible points because that is the place our redemption was purchased. The cross was not an emergency plan. It was put in place after Adam and Eve sinned. It was in the heart of God from all eternity. When Peter preached to the Jews at Pentecost, he told a large crowd that had many of those present who had just two two months earlier, less than two months, had, had cried out for Jesus to be crucified. He said, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Appropriate that lawless men put him on the cross. All of us 
participated in that, you know. I've said a lot lately that last several years, because I have, it's sometimes when I think about Adam and Eve in the garden, I feel like I'm right there with them. I mean, that's the idea, that, that's what original shit sin, we should feel it at that level. The sin of, of Adam and Eve and disobedience to God, it was our choice as well as their choice. I couldn't help it. It's passed down to me from Adam and Eve. I also see myself crying out, crucify him as a lawless man. And then, blessing upon blessing, I can sit at the foot of the cross and hear him say, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Now, that was a, a prayer for mercy, not for grace. But God's grace was extended through the cross of Jesus. So God, in His mercy, made a way for us to be redeemed from the curse of the law, and He had it planned before the world ever began. We can sum the truth of this passage up with these words. Jesus was crucified. He was cursed, I mean. Jesus was cursed. By God for us. Absorb it. Jesus was cursed by God for us. Why? So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So we're back to the promise that God made to Abraham. And that leads Paul to talk about the quality of that promise. Verse 15 um, is somewhat of a head tilter as in, huh? What? A covenant that has been made cannot be annulled. Now, Jim McLaughlin writes the textbooks for property law in North Carolina. And this would be foreign to us to think that you could make a will that could not be changed. Now, after a person has died, it can't be changed. I guess there are probably legal ways around it. But for the most part, if you will money to your children and they turn out to be idiots, you know, you can change that at some point. If they totally reject you and everything that you stand for, I'm sorry, I know that's a little close. No, I shouldn't. <laughs> that would have been close to the bone for my parents. That's what Alice, I've, I've got these Aussie sayings now, close to the bone. That's a little close to the bone, don't you think? Well, hey, look, you know, anything happens. I was telling my buddy Jimmy about this the other day. I said, I could will you a million dollars. And it couldn't be changed. He said, well, let's get to it, brother. Come on, let's go. Where do I sign? Where do you sign? Sign it. But that's the idea. The, 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 um, this concept was foreign to the Greeks and to the Romans. But remember who Paul was writing to. These were people very familiar with the Old Testament and Jewish law. And Paul was most likely referring to a law, and I probably won't pronounce this right, pronounce this right, Matanat Bari, in which a pledge could be made that could not be changed. 
It could not be broken. Now let me ask you this. If you made that kind of a pledge to someone, you would be really committed, right? That's how committed God was to Abraham when he made that promise. And that promise extends through Jesus to us. His offspring, Paul said. What does that mean? He's talking about how the promise was made to Abraham's offspring, not to his offsprings. I think it would have been better to translate it properly, or or the best would have been to his seed rather than seeds, to one person rather than to all of his children. No doubt, when you read the promises that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, and Genesis 17, you, you sense that they were given to Abraham and all the children that would come from him, all of the Jews, this, this father of the Jewish nation. And these people would bless the entire world as they have in so many ways. But, and especially the promise of Genesis 17, Seven, where he's talking about, I will give this blessing to your offspring. And while it's true that they would be a blessing to the world, uh, we considered the promise to be to the Jews. In the Hebrew, offspring can either be singular or plural. And Paul was indicating that God's primary promise would flow through one person, Jesus, who would gather the whole, his people to himself from all over the world, and one day he would rule the earth. You know, one of the, how many times do I ask a question, and you already know the answer? I say, does this mean this or this? And the answer is, yes. Well, here it is again. You know, the, the promise is made to the nation of Israel, but the promise is made to Jesus. That the, the promise is made to the people through Jesus. The promise was given to Abraham. Then, over four centuries later, the law came along and did nothing to nullify the promise that was made to Abraham, which Abraham received by faith. Remember from last week, in Galatians 3.8, Paul stated that God had preached the gospel to Abraham through the scriptures. That's, you know, it's one of those, another one of those head tilters, huh? Well, God's word had come to Abraham and he had preached the gospel. Not the full orbed gospel that we understand with the life, burial, right, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But certainly the gospel about God's provision for his people. And he, don't you know, all of this was going on in Abraham's head as he's taking his son Isaac up to sacrifice. And, and, and God says, no, I'll provide a ram. The gospel was being preached to Abraham all of his life. He didn't deserve anything, and yet God just chose him and gave him this land. And he said, I'm going to buy this cave because I'm going to be buried here. And my family's going to be buried here. Sarah, I'm going to put Sarah here, all of my... Abraham was understanding the blessing of God to an undeserving individual. Righteousness came to Abraham by faith. And and the law, when the law came along, 430 years later, Paul says, it did nothing to change the way a person is made right with God. So, what is then the purpose of the law? Paul anticipated that question. Verse 19, why then the law? 
It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediator, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Let's tackle verse 20 since it's so easy. And then we'll think about 1921 and 22. Those who make their living studying Scripture day in and day out, and even in the original languages, and who know Greek and Hebrew upside down, inside out, acknowledge that this is a difficult text. And then they go on to, and make an attempt to break it down. Paul is saying essentially, to the best of our understanding in verse 20, that the law had to be given to people through intermediaries or representatives of God. In fact, the law started with God of course. And then it came to angels, as we're told in several places in Scripture besides this this text in Galatians. And then down to Moses and ultimately to the people. Gospel, God, Abraham. That's it. Just God, Abraham. And God's word can always be trusted. So here's the application for us. God, me. Get it? God's word comes directly to me. And he tells me that Jesus has become a curse for me. So, why then the law? Good question, and and one that Paul had no doubt dealt with in his mind. If salvation comes through a promise of God in our undeserving state, then what's the purpose of the law? And this was a serious issue for Paul. Not only for the purposes of an academic debate where he was going to go toe-to-toe with people... around the Roman Empire, especially wherever a synagogue was, which was almost everywhere. But matters of eternal life and eternal destruction hung on the answer to the questions that were raised. And the place of the law and the life of a Christian was the whole reason for the conflict in the Galatian churches. It, It was important for Paul to answer carefully. You remember years later when the Jews tried to kill Paul in Jerusalem, they cried out, this is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and against our law. That wasn't true. Paul understood very well that the law had a purpose even for believers. But he knew that, as he stated in verse 21 of our text, that the law, there was no law that existed that could give life to sinners. So what was the purpose? Verse 19, it was added because of transgression until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. Who is that? Jesus. The law was added because of transgression. Now this can mean one of two things and ultimately both are evident in Scripture. First, the law has a restraining uh, effect on people. Uh, Can you imagine society without law? In fact, You can only imagine it for so long. Because when anarchy breaks out in a nation, it is not long before order will come. But not the kind of order that people want. It'll be a strong-handed order. There must be law in order for a people to survive. And when law is perverted, 
as in many countries where there is there famine exists and and and, and money and and food is poured into these countries and never make it to the people who are starving to death because of corruption. So law is necessary to restrain evil in society. But it's likely that Paul was saying here what he also said in Romans 7, that the law was given so that I might know just how desperate my condition is. The law makes a bad situation desperate and a desperate situation even worse. The law, oh, so effectively points out my sinful condition to me before a holy and righteous God. So Paul says in verse 22, but the, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. Imprisoned everything under sin. So... That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. You got no hope getting to God by doing good. None. We're slaves under the law and God's law has ultimate power and authority over all people whether they are aware of God's law or not. If you're driving down the road at 55 and you hear that and you see the blue lights and the officer stops you and and says, ma'am, because we know it'll be a woman doing this. <laughs> <And I'm> just, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> yes, you are, says Elise. I think it was Elise. Um, you're, you were doing 55 and a 35. And after it's apparent your tears are not going to work. You say... Officer, I didn't know. I thought this was a 35. I thought this was a 55 mile an hour zone. He's going to say, I am so sorry. I thought you were aware that this was a 55. I mean, a 35. Please forgive me for inconveniencing you. Have a, ha, inconveniencing you. Have a, have a nice day. Go on. So sorry. Is that what's going to happen? <laughs> What'd you say? I have to hear it. <laughs> it's what he ordered it. Uh, or deal with a crime woman in court. Uh, that's right. Uh, no, he's going to write the ticket and say, ignorance is no excuse. You should have known. Every one of us is accountable to the law. Law can't give life. It can only show us our helpless and hopeless condition. It can only diagnose our problem. But those who believe that Jesus became a curse... For them, and took the condemnation of the law upon himself, though he deserved no condemnation because he was sinless. For those who believe, the law cannot terrify, nor can it condemn. Here's what Martin Luther had to say about today's text Lady Law, you are not coming on time, you are coming too late. Look back 430 years. If these were rolled back, you could come. But you were coming too late and tardily, for you have been preceded for 430 years by the promise to which I agree and in which I gently rest. Therefore, you have nothing to do with me. I do not hear you. He's talking about the curse of the law. 
Now I am living after Abraham, a believer. Or rather, I am living after the revelation of Christ, who has abrogated and abolished you. The law in its power originated on Mount Sinai, and it was put to rest on Mount Calvary when Jesus died for us. Those are words spoken like a free man. (laughs) If you know anything about Martin Luther, you know that he was anything but free before he discovered the truth of Romans 117, which says, the just shall live by faith. Where did that come from? Habakkuk 2.4. In the midst of God's judgment on his people. Faith in Jesus. Luther was freed from slavery. The day that he trusted a merciful God whose promise to Abraham extended to him who ultimately became an anti-Semite. Maybe some mental issues. That's what we hope anyway. But the the promise extended to him from Abraham through Jesus. Time after time, Luther was tempted to return to slavery and make the works of the law the measure for whether God would accept him or be pleased with him or not. And time and again, he returned to this truth. The righteous shall live by faith. So this morning, let me ask you, Do you live as a slave or do you live as one who is free? Are you a slave or are you a son? Answer this question first. On what is your hope of heaven based? On your good works or on Jesus? And and, and if the answer is, well, both, of course, then you're depending on your good works. It is Jesus alone or not Jesus at all. That's it. Because to depend on Jesus plus what you're doing only leads to a curse because anytime you're depending on your works in the law, you're under a curse and condemnation because you can't do it. Your only hope is to acknowledge that Jesus became a curse for you and to place your faith entirely in him. If you have not done so, may I urge you to faith this day in Jesus. Jerry Bridges said some years ago something like this. There is never a day when we are so bad that we are beyond the reach of the grace of God. Hallelujah. But he also went on to say there is never a day when we are so good that we are beyond the need of the grace of God. So which do you need today? God's grace because it's not been a good week. In fact, you've just gone back to that same pigsty, that same mud hole you've been to so many times you need God's grace or perhaps you have soared this week 
in your walk with the Lord and you have actually found great victory over sin, you still desperately need the grace of God. It's always His grace that brings goodness into our life. Let's pray. Freedom from condemnation, that's what's offered in Jesus. If you don't know Him, would you just now acknowledge your sin before Him? And just say, God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus and I am, I am overwhelmed with the thought that he became a curse for me. And by faith, I received the promise of eternal life through Jesus that you have given to me. Would you just do that this morning? If you're a Christian, if you prayed that prayer like 7, 8, 10, 20 years ago and you've been praying it, 20 times a day since. You need to hear this. You're free in Jesus. You're free in Jesus. If you love Him and you find yourself like Paul in Romans 7 saying, oh, I want so badly to serve Him. But I find myself sinning all the time then you need to know this. The words that Paul wrote immediately after that enormous, gargantuan struggle in Romans 7 were, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no guilt. That's what we have when all we have is Christ. Let's stand and let's pray as we sing this song. So the benediction, first I want to thank Brad and Sean and David uh, as they bring the word to us accurately and faithfully. Uh, It's so good to hear the truth and to grow. Uh, So the benediction, uh, what I want to lift before you is may the Lord help you better understand his love. May he help you better understand his grace and may he send you forth be in that light to others around you. They need the Lord. May he use us as that light in the community. And all God's people said, Amen.